Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When we're thinking about climate change, we're thinking about it pragmatically. What does the world need to do and how can we best get there? And living in a world where you think you're going to do it without materials isn't realistic. On WealthTrack, tackling climate change through investing. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. What is the one issue we all pay attention to on a daily basis that is a frequent topic of conversation? The answer, the weather. And what is the characteristic frequently attributed to the subject in this day and age? It is climate change. Well, climate change and methods to control and mitigate it have become a huge global industry involving billions, soon to become trillions of dollars. So where are the investment opportunities? That is one of the specialties of this week's guest. He is a newcomer to WealthTrack, but his boss, investment legend Jeremy Grantham, co-founder and long-term strategist at GMO, is not. In a recent interview, which you can see on WealthTrack.com, Grantham discussed bursting market bubbles and his family foundation's investments in fighting climate change. His colleague is Lucas White, portfolio manager of GMO's $2 billion-plus climate change strategy, including the $1 billion GMO Climate Change Fund, which White launched in 2017. The Global Fund has beaten its chosen benchmark, the giant MSCI All-Country Index, since inception with 12% annualized returns. It is rated four-star by Morningstar. In giving it a bronze medalist rating, Morningstar called it a unique offering and cited its experienced lead manager, who has designed a compelling way for investors to gain exposure to companies that seek to mitigate climate change and adapt to its effects. White is also portfolio manager of another high-performing fund, GMO's nearly $2 billion resources fund, which he helped design and launch in 2012 and has run since 2015. GMO resources nearly 8% annualized returns since inception have handily beaten its global commodity index. I began our discussion by asking White why he launched a climate change fund and what is its objective. Our objective was really to capture an investment opportunity. Uh, we started investing in clean energy back in 2011 uh, as part of investing in the energy sector and our natural resources strategy. Uh, and as time went on, the economics for clean energy solutions, wind, solar, electric vehicles, et cetera, improved to the point where we believed that there was going to be transformational change in a number of industries, regardless of whether politicians uh, made a concerted effort to address climate change. Just on the pure economics alone, electric vehicles and renewables would be able to compete with fossil fuel-based or incumbent solutions. Uh, and so it was really that transformational change in investing uh, in, in these long-term growth industries that got us excited about launching a climate strategy. 
And what's your strategy? I mean, you know, I, I know that you want to deliver high total return while addressing environmental challenges. So how do you do that? At the highest level, we're looking for companies that are going to be involved in helping to combat climate change. And we generally bucket those opportunities as uh, either being companies that are involved in helping to mitigate climate change or companies involved in helping the world adapt to climate change. Because whether we like it or not, climate change is impacting the world in pretty significant ways uh, as we speak. On the mitigation side, you're obviously going to have clean energy companies, so wind, solar, biofuels, clean power generation, uh, anything of that nature. And, and that's actually about 46% of the portfolio the last time I looked, clean energy. Correct. Clean energy, the way we define it, has been about 50% of the portfolio. How do you define it? Because I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at the, the sectors that you've got in the clean energy and you know, you've got the usual suspects, you know, the, the solar, wind, biofuels, but you also have battery storage. So, so do you define clean energy differently than perhaps your competitors do? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is no commonly accepted definition of clean energy. Uh, okay. Everybody has their own take on it. We, we think of batteries and storage as being part of clean energy, batteries for electric vehicles, storage for utility-scale or large-scale energy storage. Uh, those are likely to be different solutions because they're different challenges with their own unique characteristics that need to be addressed. Uh, but certainly both of them are part of transitioning to a clean energy world. Another major category, uh, obviously smaller uh, than the clean energy, but is energy efficiency. That's about 19% of the portfolio. Talk to us a little bit about that category. Energy efficiency is brilliant in terms of fighting uh, climate change. If you can accomplish the same unit of work and do it uh, while using 20, 30, 40% less energy, uh, that's much more impactful to the world than adding a few electric vehicles to our streets or adding a few percent renewables uh, to our, our uh, electricity generation mix. So energy efficiency is a, a, a huge part of the story, maybe not quite as exciting to investors for, for one reason or another. And you end up investing in companies that are a little bit more diversified, well-established conglomerates like Siemens, for example. Uh, but it's, it's certainly uh, a big part of the story, just using less energy to accomplish the same unit of work. So another uh, big segment is agriculture, which actually surprised me. Why is agriculture such an important part of uh, addressing climate change? Agriculture and water uh, are are challenges uh, right. for the world, and they would be challenges for a world with 8 billion people and growing without climate change. Uh, but then you, you throw on uh, climate change or you add climate change to the mix. All of a sudden, you're taking these very difficult problems for the world, and you're making them much, much more difficult. So you're, you're never going to go talk to a farmer and have a farmer say, oh, you know what? It used to be so easy to produce crops, right? It was, no, it was a cakewalk, and now it's starting to get challenging. It's always been a always. difficult game. Uh, but now you're adding droughts, floods, extreme temperature events, which are death for crops, uh, extreme downpours, which wash away your soil nutrients. Uh, you're taking a difficult game, and you're making it much more difficult. So companies focused on keeping agricultural productivity as high as possible in the face of climate change would be within scope. And copper is another, uh, you know, specific segment, uh, about 8% of the portfolio. So discuss copper with us, which would not meet 
the criteria of most, you know, ESG, the environment in ESG investing? Yeah, it depends on what you mean by ESG. In the uh -huh. real world, uh, clean energy solutions revolve around material usage. Uh, you're not using uh, coal, natural gas, and oil, but you are using a lot more copper, a lot more nickel, lithium, cobalt, vanadium, different clean energy materials. Uh, and copper is an interesting material because it's at the heart of clean energy uh, almost across the board. Uh, when you look at renewable projects, they use four to 12 times as much copper as a comparably sized natural gas or coal power plant. Uh, when you look at electric vehicles, they use three to four times as much copper uh, as an internal combustion engine vehicle. Every electric bus that we produce gobbles up 800 pounds of copper, which is a crazy wow. statistic if you realize how scarce of a resource copper is. Uh, and then you look at electric vehicle charging infrastructure, energy efficiency efforts, uh, overhauling our electric grid to be able to incorporate a higher percentage of renewables, copper, copper, copper. So copper is kind of the oil of a clean energy economy. Uh, and whether you like mining or you like copper or materials or not, uh, you either let the world boil or we need a lot more copper than we've ever harvested before. Uh, and we need to get that into applications as soon as possible. And, and when we're thinking about climate change, we're thinking about it pragmatically. What, what does the world need to do and how can we best get there? Uh, and living in a world where you think you're gonna do it without materials isn't realistic. Um, there, there just is no solution that doesn't revolve around material usage given the technologies and, and knowledge that we have today. When we talked about uh, the you know clean energy component, as you said, it's about half of the portfolio, um, the solar, wind, biofuels, and, and GMO is known for having a, a you know a value bias um, and also a quality bias. So, are there a lot of candidates to meet your criteria of you know valuations uh, and and quality? It's like anything else. You're going to find overpriced companies. You're going to find right. companies that aren't high quality. Uh, but we certainly find high quality differentiated business models where they have a defensible moat. Uh, they're going to be able to defend their profitability, which is really what you're looking for. Uh, we also find companies that don't have those characteristics. So for example, when we've looked at the solar industry, we've excluded 75% of the companies that we've evaluated from our custom investment universe, which, which is the, the stocks from which we select. Right. Uh, and we've done that because we can't get comfortable that there's, they're doing anything different. Solar panels uh, predominantly, uh, are photo you're talking about photovoltaic panels. Uh, they are uh, a relatively simple commoditized technology, uh, relatively low barriers to entry, very little in the way of product differentiation. You know, Apple doesn't have a cool white solar panel that has Wi-Fi or something neat or, or artificial intelligence on it or something uh, that would capture your attention. Uh, they're just boring gray, dopey solar panels that go up on, on rooftops and out in solar arrays uh, in fields. So uh, all of those factors mean that there are a lot of players, mm -hmm. including the Chinese, who at times Chinese. dump panels uh, on, on the global market at uneconomic prices. Uh, so for all of those reasons, we, we avoid most of the solar companies uh, that we've looked at, but there are a couple handfuls of companies that do have uh, a differentiated product or technology or approach or economies of scale or something that gives them an edge on the competition 
uh, and that's really where we focus our efforts. So, so give us an example that's in the portfolio that kind of epitomizes, you know, that made the cut. SolarEdge is a good example. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe it's uh, on average since we launched uh, probably been our largest position and continues to be a large position. Uh, SolarEdge doesn't produce solar panels. Uh, they produce solar inverters and optimization technology that is paired with their inverter technology that allows you to optimize the amount of electricity that is generated uh, from a solar array. So the, the standard inverters that are installed on 90 to 95 percent of solar panels worldwide as we speak are these dumb things called string inverters. Mm -hmm. uh, and string inverters are kind of like the old Christmas tree lights where if one goes out the entire strand goes out. Uh, similarly when you're using string inverters the entire array is compromised if one solar panel is broken or there's a cloud over one panel or uh, a shadow from a chimney or whatnot. Uh, the entire array operates to the lowest common denominator. Well, SolarEdge has a product, you know, these two products, once again, this optimization technology uh, and, and uh, the, the inverter technology that when paired together optimizes the amount of electricity that's produced from the same solar array. Uh, and in Business 101, uh, you're taught to compete on quality, which they're certainly competing on, uh, or cost uh, or price, but you're not, you're not supposed to compete on both. But they actually have a cheaper technology in the long run because you only have to replace their inverters once over the life cycle of a solar panel rather than twice. So it's a little bit more expensive up front, uh, but for the long-term owner of those solar panels, it's, it's a cheaper uh, value proposition. And if you're competing on quality, and right. cost, what do you think happens? You gain market share. And so uh, it, the industry has really been evolving towards a duopoly where SolarEdge and a, a company called Enphase that has a different solution uh, to the same challenges uh, really dominate and have gained market share. And, and SolarEdge has done extremely well. Uh, yet despite that, due to shorter term headwinds uh, as we speak, uh, it, it's been trading in, in the 230 to $240 uh, range even today. And, and to us, that is uh, a steep discount to its fair value over the long run. Is, is there an equivalent to SolarEdge in, in the wind area? Uh, our favorite uh, company in the wind uh, space is Vestas Wind Systems. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the biggest, in our opinion, best wind turbine manufacturer in the world. Uh, they're increasingly orienting their business towards uh, service and maintenance, which is a higher margin, more stable business uh, versus just the pure wind turbine manufacturing angle. Uh, because they're the biggest uh, on the service and maintenance side of things, they get more data, more information, which they can plug into big data and potentially uh, artificial intelligence solutions, since uh, I take that, uh, I'm saying that a little bit tongue in cheek, but everything seems to be about AI these days. Right. Um, uh, but Vestas is uh, really a, a global leader on the wind side of things. Uh, not quite as attractively valued, in our opinion, uh, as SolarEdge, but, but still attractively valued and, and positioned to really generate strong returns if wind, uh, the wind industry performs the way we think it will. And, and I'm looking, one of your largest holdings is something called uh, Darling Ingredients, which is a biofuels company. What Darling Ingredients does is, and they've been doing this for uh, over 100 years, I believe, uh, they've been capturing waste products uh, from different industries. They may go grab uh, used animal fats and, and things like that, cooking oils and greases from restaurants, uh, and they produce useful products uh, from those discarded materials. 
Uh, well, one of the useful products that they produce are biofuels. Uh, historically, they've produced a lot of biodiesel. Uh, you blend biodiesel in with traditional ultra-low sulfur diesel uh, to produce a, a useful fuel. Uh, more recently, they've really been oriented towards renewable diesel, uh, which is a molecular substitute. Uh, for ultra-low sulfur diesel. Uh, and so you don't even need to know that you're using renewable diesel. You could just, uh, you know, use it to, to fuel your, your car, your truck, your ship, uh, what have you. Uh, and they're also uh, increasingly uh, looking at sustainable aviation fuel. And aviation has long been a challenge uh, for climate uh, advocates and activists sure. because you, we have some solutions for electricity generation, we have some solutions uh, for passenger vehicles. It hasn't been clear what to do uh, with air uh, flight because you're not going to load up an airplane with uh, you know eight million pounds of of lithium ion batteries and then watch it fall to the bottom of the ocean uh, and and sustainable aviation fuels potentially uh, a long term solution for that aviation challenge. I say long term because the capacity to produce sustainable aviation fuel right now is very limited relative to the demand for jet fuel. Uh, so right now sustainable aviation fuel gets blended with jet fuel, uh, but but longer term, when there's more production uh, capacity, it could be a substitute for jet fuel. How dependent are these industries on, on government, you know, on tax credits or government subsidies? Or are they able to kind of stand alone now and grow organically on their own? Obviously, uh, the public policy support, tax credits, incentives of various right. uh, kinds are, are going to help these nascent industries that are just emerging as we speak, which makes them no different than any other industry uh, that has started up. You go to the early days of uh, any industry, having mm -hmm. some support and some help along the way uh, has, has been tremendously useful. Uh, looking medium term to longer term, they won't be anywhere near as reliant on the public policy support. And, and what the, it will you be useful for at that point, meaning the public policy support, will just be accelerating the transition because we need to move much faster than the world is currently moving. We're moving along, you know, we're making the transition. But if we really want to take climate change seriously, we need to move much faster than we are. Uh, and so public policy support, uh, even when the economics don't need it, uh, of these different solutions may be needed to just speed up the transition. Let me ask you about some of the other segments that, that we discussed. So um, energy uh, efficiency, and you've got a, a company called GraphTech. Is, is that the one that, that you would choose in an ex as an example of, of your investments in energy efficiency, and, and how does that work? Yeah, I, I mentioned aviation as a challenge uh, for uh, decarbonizing the world. And another challenge uh, that's pretty high profile is steelmaking. Uh, mm -hmm. Steelmaking, incredibly energy intensive, uh, incredibly emissions intensive, et cetera. Well, there's an alternate form of steelmaking called electric arc furnace uh, steelmaking. It's a different methodology compared to the traditional blast furnace methodology. Uh, what GraphTech does is they produce high, ultra high power electrodes uh, that electric arc furnace steel manufacturers need for that electric arc furnace process. Uh, and that, that the entire life cycle, we actually hired a consultant to sort this out for us and do the calculations because even GraphTech wasn't publishing uh, the data for us when we first started looking at it. Uh, the entire life cycle uh, for electric arc furnace steel making is about 90% cleaner from a carbon perspective uh, relative to traditional blast furnace steel making. Uh, and so once again, GraphTech isn't an electric arc furnace steel manufacturer, but they produce the, the electrodes that are needed by those 
uh, those steel manufacturers. And in agriculture, what kind of investments uh, are you making there? Uh, so we might look at uh, some of the precision ag companies, companies like Agco and, and Deere. Uh, but what's where, precision ag? What does that mean? Uh, precision ag is where uh, rather than blast your entire field with echochemicals, uh, you have very targeted application uh, because you have sensors and monitors uh, and equipment that can identify where there are weeds. Uh, so you don't need to just canvas the entire field. Uh, just much better uh, diagnostics and metrics about how much moisture is in the so uh, soil, how much nitrogen, how much phosphorus, how much potassium. You need all of those things in, in, in a uh, I optimal balance in order to uh, have optimal production of agricultural crops. And so precision ag efforts are focused on uh, monitoring these things, which quite frankly, uh, farmers didn't have good data on or, or get good reads on uh, historically, which helped them to produce at much higher levels. How cutting edge are the companies that you're investing in? And, and are you encouraged about the progress uh, that, that your companies are making in these different areas uh, of combating climate change? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of both. We're encouraged yeah. by the progress. There are a tremendous amount of new efforts, new research, new technologies which are being brought to bear. It's about the cost, and it always comes down to cost. Can you do it cheaply? And until the last few years, you couldn't. And you can now increasingly cheaper and cheaper with right. uh, every passing year. Last year, I guess I can't say with every passing year, because last year with materials costs up, we did see an uptick in the cost for, for renewables and for electric vehicle batteries. But the, the trend uh, has been pretty clearly uh, down uh, for, for the prices for uh, various clean energy solutions. How have you invested in water? Uh, one of the big players uh, is Veolia, and Veolia is the result of a merger between Veolia and Suez. They were each uh, one of the biggest water companies in the world, and now that they've combined forces, they're really at the top uh, of, of the game in various different uh, segments within the water industry and, and really a global leader. At the end of every wealth track, we, we ask each of our guests if there's one investment that we should all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio. Such an unfair question when you're running a portfolio, but what would it be? So what would it be for you? I mentioned SolarEdge earlier as being mm -hmm. one of our favorite stocks. Uh, I mentioned their solar inverter and, and power optimization. Uh, technologies. They're also working on electric vehicle drivetrains, uh, and and that that expertise that they have from their their power optimization and and inverter technology, they're able to bring that te technical expertise into the electric vehicle drivetrain uh, industry. And they're not trying to compete with the Teslas of the world or or the BYDs. What they're working on is all these other vehicles that we have on Earth, forklifts, golf carts, et cetera, uh, where there's a lot less attention and focus on them, yet they're vehicles that currently take gas or diesel uh, or whatnot to run, uh, and, and they're trying to solve that issue. They also have energy storage, uh, and they've also branched out into electric vehicle charging, where uh, you have bi-directional charging. So not only can your house and your solar panels and whatever charge your vehicle, uh, but in the event that you have a power outage, your vehicle can charge your house or, or run your house. You're getting exposure to a range of different long-term growth opportunities. You're doing it with a company that has 
uh, expertise and uh, a competent management team that's really executed extraordinarily well uh, in recent years and continues to make all the right moves. Uh, and, and due to a recent pullback uh, in, in solar names more broadly, you're able to get it at what we think are, are uh, fairly cheap uh, valuation levels. And, and if you invested in that company with a long-term time frame, we think uh, you'd be, be pretty happy about it. Lucas White, thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you for having me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider adding some natural resources to your portfolio. There is a compelling investment case for the sector, a long-term rise in global demand, albeit with wide swings in between, the need for key metals and materials as the world transitions to a greener economy, and limited supplies. Altogether, they create looming shortages in various natural resources, which drives up prices and company profitability. How to invest? Well, in addition to the high-performing GMO Resources Fund, there are over 100 funds in Morningstar's natural resources category. Among the largest and definitely the oldest is T. Rowe Price's New Era Fund. This actually managed gold-rated global fund founded in 1969 invests a minimum of two-thirds of its assets in companies that own or develop natural resources and other basic commodities. Among the largest established passive choices is the silver-rated Spider Global Natural Resources ETF, symbol GNR. Established in 2010, it tracks the S&P Global Natural Resources Index, which is equally weighted among agriculture, energy, and metals and mining. Natural resource companies are under-owned. They are unpopular because they do not make the cut in the E for environment and ESG portfolios but they add diversification to portfolios and will continue to provide essential resources for modern life. Next week, Jerry O'Reilly, who runs Vanguard's Total Stock Market Index Fund, the world's largest mutual fund, describes why passive is really very active. In this week's extra feature, Lucas White tells us what it's like to work for legendary investor Jeremy Grantham. We appreciate those of you who follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for spending your precious time with us. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.